0: Goes it? Were you uh, were you pleased to see the Moiseyev
1: on the end of a, a good something? I mean, beating Sunderland is low key in the top five most enjoyable results in the Premier League. Maybe even higher than that. It might be like fourth. No, I reckon it's 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 the fifth most enjoyable win we can get in in the league. It's pretty
0: good, and and really, I was pretty ambivalent towards Sunderland until about
1: five years ago. Yeah. And then they just, I always sort of liked them. The nickname, The Black Cats, was always quite enjoyable. I liked Kevin Phillips. He was good. But uh, recently, like since, well, it's since, since 11, Poznan 12, Gate. isn't it? Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, when Moyes goes down and there are uh, tears at the Stadium of Light, I'll be doing a Poznan in front of my TV.
1: <laughs> the um, There are two chants sung by opposing. The two worst chants, I think sung at Man United by opposition fans. Apart from, like, is there a fire drill and, you know, is this a library and all that sort of stuff, all that nonsense. We support our local team, always tire- tiresome. But uh, the two worst are Leicester fans singing just like Leicester, your city is blue. Doesn't make any sense. Like, why are they... Why I mean, why are they on Man City's side? That's, that's a really weird thing. And also, Leicester's a one-club city, so... There's no kind of your city is blue, our city is blue thing that works for them. Doesn't make sense. And it's small time and it's rubbish. And uh, the other one is Sunderland fans singing. Uh, we heard you singing when Sergio scored. You're literally singing about another team's triumph. Like, I know United can be very small time when it comes to singing about Stephen Gerrard. But my goodness, <laughs> is there a more small time chant than that?
0: Yeah, desperately sad. But then again, this is a club... Um, which which has a, a storied history of zero success uh, and just bounces between the Premier League and the Championship um, in the last few years. And they're going, going to go down. And, and as we talked about last week, uh, their finances are not in good shape and uh, they'll have a choice of keeping David Moyes, which uh, should help their, uh, their stay in the Championship along. Um, or not and uh, it's going to be a very difficult ride for this club now I think even with the mega parachute payments that you get from the Premier League uh, they'll be shedding all their best players bye-bye Sunderland fans anyway I uh, I quite enjoyed United's victory it, it was laboured for a long time wasn't it uh, and yeah. then uh, I suppose 3-0 felt about the right result in terms of United's dominance but didn't really think it didn't really seem like we'd get there um, for the first I don't know However many minutes. How, how long did it take till Zlatan scored? At about that many minutes. It didn't look like United were going to win comfortably at all.
1: Uh, yeah, Zlatan scored like, what was it, half an hour in? Something like that. Um, but yeah, it was, it. was maybe it was a bit sooner than that. Uh, and then the red cards made it. I don't know, I was kind of worried that they would like shut up shop and nick one after the, the red card, but they're so terrible. There was no need to be... Uh, no need to be worried," Moyes said. "I don't want to blame referees for my position and us losing. That's a lie. You'd absolutely love to blame referees for your position and you losing. Today, the result was helped by the referee. Manchester United were playing well, but the red card was a decision that went against us. <laughs> like, yeah, look,
0: look, even he can't say that wasn't a red card. I mean, there was the usual bollocks on on twitter about people debating it uh, there's no debate about this one uh, i i actually i actually think the way he rolled over the top of the ball it was deliberate um so i'd give him a double red card for that uh, and uh, this is you know it's not just it was uh, late he, he went over the top and into the play, and was very, very lucky that it didn't catch um, Herrera on his standing leg, otherwise we'd be seeing another Seamus Coleman.
1: So the first replay I saw, I thought it looked like a really harsh red card, because um, it looked like he'd got his boot down well in time by the time he got to Herrera, but that was just not the case at all, like, watching it again, it was, it was very evidently, obviously a red card, and you say there was the usual rubbish on Twitter, that's... That is what it is, but more worryingly than that, or more kind of culturally pertinent than that, was the fact that every pundit on the live television coverage in the UK, it was on Sky Sports, uh, all unanimously agreed. uh, Niall Quinn really took the line of... I mean, Niall Quinn, a terrible pundit at the best of times, took the... Actually, all three terrible pundits, because it was Quinn, Phil Neville, Jamie Redknapp. I mean, that is a... That is a trio of terror when it comes to punditry. Um, But they all agreed. And Quinn was banging on about yellow card at worst. And you just think, you know, Seamus Coleman got his leg broken a week ago, or just over a week ago, and everyone's like, oh, this ton of tackle, it's terrible. And then as soon as somebody gets red carded for one that doesn't break someone's leg, they're all up in arms. And, you know, the, the kind of... The kind of oh you can 't tackle in the game anymore, nonsense that goes on no you can 't tackle with your studs fully showing pointing directly at the opponent 's shin way above the ball, <laughs> like that isn't oh, the art of tackling's a lost art Well, wow. well, quite yeah, and I, I think the the rewrite of the rule
0: a few years ago to to make you quite a clear distinction between something that was careless and something that was dangerous i e um, there, there was no no control. Uh, and it could well injure an opponent. So, you know, it's, just, it, it's really, really super clear. And I thought the referee uh, got it right. And it, was, it was quite clear from his sort of body language that the red card was about to come out. In any case, look, United were well on top um, before the red card. Didn't necessarily look like United were going to score until Zlatan came up with a piece of magic. And this is, I mean, for Zlatan, it might seem like an ordinary goal, but he, this isn't even a half chance. <laughs> He's, you know, beautiful control with his back to goal. I thought he's just going to lay it off and suddenly there's a half a step and it's whipped into the corner. Beautiful finish, great goal.
1: Yeah, I mean, like one of those where you just want to sort of stop and applaud and lots of people had been absolutely slating Ibrahimovic on, on social media before that because... He was kind of having a slightly ropey game, although I think that was slightly overblown. Like there was a, a really nice back through ball to Lingard before that and another couple of decent bits of hold-up play. Uh, I didn't think he was having like one of those Ibrahimovic stinkers before that. Um, but the goal, <laughs> there wasn't anything in his performance that said that that was coming, apart from he is Zlatan. Uh, it's it's amazing that he can just do that in that in those circumstances. All three goals... Really, kind of special goals in one way or another, um, and all kind of aided by poor Sunderland defending. Like Sunderland could have closed Ibrahimovic down, by they were getting hammered. The Sunderland defenders, right. and I thought, I mean, it all happened very quickly, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's
0: it's really only half a step, uh, and he's just got enough space. It's like a, where Beckham managed to get himself half a step to whipping across. Latan got himself a little bit of a little bit of space and he whipped that ball into the corner and Pickford's a good goalkeeper you know I think he'll go on to to be a fine goalkeeper perhaps even an England international which isn't really a benchmark of any quality but but still um uh, you know and and the ball's like not only is it coming at pace and it's just like viciously dips just before it gets to the keeper and I think that's done the keeper as much as anything so um yeah fine fine goal and then obviously the red card just before that and just after that and um and I guess the game's over at that point. It's definitely over when, uh, you know, however many seconds into the the second half, uh, Mkhitaryan scored. Uh, and uh, I mean, Moyes, I'm sure, I was going mental on the sidelines for that one because uh, he he will have had something to say to his players at halftime, which would have been something along the lines of, you fools, you haven't scored in eight games. <laughs> it's not my fault. <laughs> or, <laughs> no, we're going down, lads. This is probably more like Moyes, actually. It's probably a message of doom at halftime, just in case these players weren't doomed enough. Um, and because and, uh, Mkhitaryan scores straight away after half halftime, it yeah, ends the game, basically.
1: I mean, it was bad defending, but it was glorious for Mkhitaryan, wasn't it? Like, just he just made it all himself. The beat the man, beautiful finish into the into the far corner. Really difficult to finish from that angle, and just like really, yeah, wonderful. Another wonderful goal and wonderful goal. But
0: I'm not sure he was having a good game before that. Nope. And and he hasn't had a good game in the last few starts uh, he's had either. You know, he's uh, had a bit of a dip since that he came back into the side. And there's that kind of Russia of games and beautiful performances and um, ridiculous goals um the last month or so he's he's dipped a little bit uh, we certainly need him for the remaining eight games united are probably going to have to win all eight of them in order to guarantee qualification for the for the top 4 although given the team selection you do wonder whether jose has thought mm, yeah you know on the balance of probabilities we we, we might not make the top 4 so we're going to put all our eggs into the europa league basket
1: I mean, I don't know. It's like we're going to put half our eggs into the Europa League basket, right? Because he plays Mkhitaryan, Ibrahimovic, Pogba, Herrera. The centre-back partnership was as strong as it could have been with the injuries and everything. So it was just a few key spots. Notably, of course, goalkeeper um, Romero playing, uh, De Gea having a little problem, not the same as an injury. And uh, I thought that De Gea's performance uh, against Everton was kind of noteworthy for being... Not his best, and uh, rumours of a uh, sort of some sort of words on the training ground. Who knows whether that's true or not? Uh, between between Mourinho and De Gea, and uh, you wonder whether his head's been turned again. His uh, amazingly quaffed head with the kind of Travis Bickle that he's rocking at the moment.
0: Yeah, although this time, of course, United uh, United hold the player's destiny in their hands, and it's going to take a, a mega fee for him to leave. Yeah. Uh, um, unless those previous rumours of some kind of release clause uh, in the contract are true. Seems
1: unlikely. Romero did well, again, like, I'm not really tested except for that one save against the HB where Eric Bailly, like, fully, fully just kicks a Leechabee standing leg out from under him. Um, like, the ball's long gone and Bailly's like, OK, I'll bet give away a penalty here. It's so a good job nobody spotted that that happened because uh, like, he definitely didn't need to make that challenge because Romero right. had it covered. Um, uh, David Moyes, after the game, he said, uh, we are, <laughs> we were hanging in the game and staying in the game and trying to do our best. It's classic Moyes, trying to do our best. We kept going. We have another home game next Saturday and we have to try and win it. <laughs> We we do some good things, but just lack a bit of quality. But it's not for the want of trying. <laughs> Classic. And then he says, after a bit, the hardest thing as a manager is losing, and we're losing a lot.
0: <laughs> good, good. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I mean, I'd I'd say uh, uh, Moyes probably wouldn't be getting any sleep, but he's probably trying to get some sleep.
1: The um, the other really notable things about the team selection where there's only one player in the starting 11 and indeed the subs that came on... only one of any of those players played competitive football for Sir Alex Ferguson, and that was Paul Pogba, so that kind of hardly counts because certainly wasn't in the last squad. And only one of them, indeed, played uh, competitive football, even kind of more remarkably, only one of them played competitive football for David Moyes, and that was the captain, Marouane Fellaini. Oh, God. (laughs) I
0: mean, uh, mm, we probably ought not to repeat what was said in the Rankast WhatsApp (laughs) group about that particular decision. Yeah, I mean I have to say I, I basically thought that Jose was giving up on the Premier League with the team selection, but uh clearly he knows best and Sunderland um are truly, truly awful. Uh yeah, what an honor for Maran. He's truly earned it or something. Um on the on the Fergie thing, well I mean, you know, we're um we're only a month away from from it being four years mm. since Ferguson retired. Mm. Four.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I guess the the, the Moistat that's then three years, and that's kind of even more. You know, it's more than three years. In fact, just under, just over three years since Moyes was sacked. Um, So, like the, or maybe he hadn't been sacked yet by now, actually. But anyway, um it was about this time. So, in three years, they've kind of turned over pretty much an entire squad. Not an entire squad, but you know, we we, we put out an eleven that doesn't doesn't have anyone that that played for them, and it it, fe- it feels like. Feels like we are kind of fully in the next era now, really.
0: Yeah, it does. Yeah, and uh, interesting bench for United today as well, wasn't it? You know, not or Blint, Rashford and, and Martial being around, but uh, uh, no De Gea even on the bench. It turns and fosu Menta both made the bench. So, and Pereira and Pereira's backup keeper, back-up keeper so... who, who a lot of people have high hopes for him uh, as a high quality, high quality man to come. Um, not sure, he's going to get a chance at United. Very I, and who's the last youth keeper who came through and actually made it at United? I mean, G- Pilkington, uh, Gary <laughs> Bailey. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Pilkington was always did a reserve, wasn't he? But Gary Bailey as a as a uh,
1: did did Bailey come through the squad? Why do I think he did? That might not even be true. No, I don't, anyway.
0: Honestly, I don't remember. Um, I don't remember where he was acquired from. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's super hard though because. Who gives 18-year-old keepers a, an opportunity? No one.
1: I'll tell you who doesn't. <laughs> who definitely, definitely doesn't. That's Jose Mourinho.
0: You, you're saying he's got a problem with young players?
1: <laughs> you know, listen. Uh, he was 20 when he signed for us, Gary Bailey. He had previously played for Cape Town City and Vitz University. Hmm. Don't really count, do they? No. Um, the, uh, the the thing about that... Um, keeper, though, by the way.
0: If you remember, him.
1: he was. Uh, Luke Shaw uh, worth a word. J- worth a word had a decent game. Yeah, really I mean, decent, I thought.
0: A couple of moments where it looked like it was back to old Shaw bursting past players. That's what we, we want, really. He got a beautiful ball, return ball from Zlatan, and whipped in across, which Fellaini uh, conspired <laughs> to fall over.
1: Oh, his feet so modelled, it was funny.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: um, but
0: yeah, a few moments from Luke Shaw and he was really pissed off getting subbed off. But uh, a, a nice a nice moment of mind games from Mourinho after having had a go at him twice in the last week. He uh, he made a big show shaking his hands and slapping him on the back and giving him some encouragement as he came off. Classic Mourinho, isn't
1: it? Um
0: Classic Mourinho.
1: The uh, the Fellaini thing, I mean, I think it's pretty evident that he was the captain on grounds of seniority. I think that's the because he was the player that had been at the club the longest out of everyone in that starting eleven. Wow. Um, So, yeah, that's a a kind of remarkable thing. Final goal was after some changes had been made, and it was absolutely gorgeous. Gorgeous goal. The pass from Pogba... (laughs) Sat really deep. Who didn't have a great game, but really like showed his quality with that pass. Finds Rashford, who does some really nice interplay with Ibrahimovic, and then slots home beautifully. The kind of chance that's been getting saved of late um, for Rashford. So, would you would you
0: classify that as a goal on the counter attack or not? Is it more? It's more from open play. See. I had a look at this uh, stat earlier this week because I was just, uh, just had a kind of inkling about it. How many goals do you think United have scored in the league this year from counterattacks?
1: It feels like a decent number. Go on, go on, pick a number. Uh... I don't know. We haven't scored any goals in the league this season. Right, hold on. Let me look at um look up um No, 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 don't go cheating. No, I'm not and cheating. The interwebs. I'm cheating. I'm not cheating. I just said I am cheating. I'm not cheating. I'm uh, I'm just looking at how many goals we've scored in total. 46. Oh, well, I... so yeah, yeah. 10 10 counter-attacking goals. No. Nope. What is one? <laughs> okay. One. Okay. okay. One. Right. One. And
0: and it's actually not a surprise because although United do have a number of speedy players they rarely all play at the same time and the center forward is is uh, is latan who does tend to slow things down. I feel like this is... Except when he's uh, shooting, of course.
1: I feel like this is kind of a a question of what counts as a counter-attack, really. Because I don't think, really, the reason that it's so few, although, one, that's a real low number, but I think it's also got to do with the fact that we've just got the ball all the time. And, like, we've scored a lot of goals from breaking down opposition play somewhere around the halfway line and then springing into action, which is sort of like a half-counter-attack. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, it isn't.
1: Um, uh, yeah, fifty-six
0: percent what... you know, possession on average uh, for United, which was you know pretty Van Hull esque. So yes, you're right. Uh, United have kept the ball an awful lot uh, this season, which of course would reduce the opportunities to. To counter attack, but still, I I just thought it kind of pointed to something about this United side. It's one of the reasons why United have only scored forty six goals. Do you know what
1: the definition uh, of counter attacking is in that in this context? I don't.
0: I haven't. I, I I'm there will be a definition because Opta will have a definition.
1: Yeah, uh, I think that's that'd be interesting to look up to to make sense of that stat. Really, I mean, United had seventy point five percent possession against Sunderland, and it felt like it felt like kind of complete dominance. But a lot of it felt kind of sterile. And in the end, three 0 was great. It was it was like I don't know, three brilliant moments of quality in an otherwise quite... A game that was kind of kind of, generally a bit lacking in quality.
0: Mm. And the, the one other amazing thing about the Sunderland team, no United players in it, ex-United <laughs> oh, players. Because <yeah>, <laughs> normally there's about 12 of yeah, them in true. there. Uh, Darren Gibson on the bench. Yeah. Uh, but no Brown, no O'Shea, no McNair. Who else have they got? Donald Love. Uh, None of those guys. Um, Brown
1: is at Blackburn uh, Rovers now.
0: Yes, that's why. Yeah. Um, One other interesting stat. Uh, How many times do you think Jermaine Defoe touched the ball?
1: (laughs) I've got the Who's Called page up, but I'm not going to look. I'm going to go with uh, 11. Nearly. Eight. (laughs) Eight.
0: Uh, Sergio Romero made twice the amount of
1: passes. It's not good for Sunderland, is it? And he, he did like nearly, he kind of caught one pretty sweet and went went a little way over the bar. Yeah, and the free kick was on target. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, no, I thought Shaw was, Shaw was really excellent. Um, the goals were all real excellent. Nothing else really of note in that game.
0: No, I mean, it was desperately needed victory. I mean, Sp- Spurs won, uh, City won. I'm going to hazard to guess. I can't remember what their score was now. Liverpool made a very late comeback at Stoke. Big, big result for them. Arsenal play Palace on Monday night. So, you know, it was obviously it's one of those games United had to win because uh, they're playing uh, the worst team in the country. Yeah, uh, but also just the situation in the league. I mean, win win the game in hand, and United are a point behind City. Yeah. So you
1: know, that's winning the game. Fourth place is w- winning the yeah, game fourth place in hand
0: against City, uh, isn't it? Against City, yeah. Um, so look, well, it's not game in hand on City if it's against City. But, oh yeah, uh, hey. Uh, um, <laughs> so look, okay. but just you know, just, I think it's just the run of results that United have had this season. The inconsistency—it's—it's it's hard to see. Um, it's hard to see us winning the next eight in a row. Mm. But you never know. You never. 20, twenty-one. Like, Was tw- it twenty or twenty-one games unbeaten
1: in the the
0: league now? A lot.
1: Uh, yeah, we just—I—I I wonder whether we'll sustain that uh unbeaten run into I guess we should um we plan to preview the Anderlecht game I know you've we've got a, a a special preview of the Anderlecht game coming up but um the uh the other game we should probably preview is Chelsea next weekend because I doubt we're gonna be able to do a show between uh, the Anderlecht game and the Chelsea game. So that's gonna be absolutely massive isn't it and I guess after we take a few rank cast questions and listen to the the Anderlecht Preview will uh, we'll come on to talking about Chelsea. Anything else from Sunderland before we move on?
0: No, I'm just, I'm just thoroughly looking forward to the day they get relegated, which will be very soon. And uh, They are 10 points behind Hull City uh, in 17th, so it's not going to take very long, uh, depending on the results around them, but uh, they'll be done quite soon. Uh, and then maybe Moyes will get the ignominy of being sacked again. You know, he's been, he was sacked by United inside a, a year. He was sacked by uh, dad inside a year. And, uh, uh, you know, I think he may well be sacked by Sunderland inside a the year.
1: The, the trifecta. <laughs> Can we just take a moment to once again point out that loads of people agreed that David Moyes getting the United job was good? Like, what a world. What a world. It happened. It really happened. This time, you know, three years ago, David Moyes was manager of Manchester United. You know what? It's
0: purely a framing bias. Purely. Right? Because they, they, he was sold to us as being, um, being a, a continuity manager. Right? And, and that's code. That's a dog whistle for Scottish. Yeah. Right? So subtly in the back of everyone's heads, they were like, oh, he's basically Scottish, which means he's basically mini Fergie. Ah, oh, Fergie's good. Mm. Right, that's exactly what's happened there.
1: Mm. Yes. But in fact, he was completely terrible and has continued to demonstrate his terribleness ever since. Uh so let's get let's get some. He's a he's a right ugly bastard as well. Oh come on now. Come on. Sorry, I just had to that say that it. feels really unnecessary. Like <laughs> come in <laughs> Listen. Surely, surely we're above that. Ed. Surely we're above personal appearance-based attacks.
0: No, <laughs> okay. no, no,
1: don't think so. Right, okay. I, I, and I tell I, you what—he—he—he he, he
0: is actually a, a uh, Photoshop user's dream because he really jack up the contrast on a, a a photo and the kind of mid-range on a, a photo. Of David Moyes—it makes him look like some kind of freaky horror show because uh, he's so wrinkly. I
1: would just like to distance myself from all remarks. Concerning David Moyes' personal appearance, which, you know, he can't, it's his fault he's a terrible football manager. It's not his fault he looks funny. Well, well, I don't know about that. Can you prove otherwise? This is terrible. This is like appearance shaming. It's totally, totally unacceptable. <laughs>
0: All right, let's move on.
1: All right, at Gandhi. YMJ says, How sick are you of hearing pundits use the word intent? If intent mattered, we'd hardly ever see a sending off.
0: Yeah, it doesn't matter at all. It's not, it's not in the laws. I always find this really strange, right? They pay these guys, in some cases, millions of pounds a year to do punditry because they're ex pros. What the, the thinking being, cause, because they're ex pros, they understand the game. Except they don't understand some of the fundamentals because they spend 75% of their time talking about the referee and none of them understand the laws of the game at all. It doesn't take a lot, just bloody read them.
1: Mm, yeah, I mean, that kind of would seem like it might be taking quite a lot out of Jamie Redknapp if you'd made him read a big document with complex language in it.
0: I'm not sure. Or, or even a, like a Mr Men book. <laughs> maybe, maybe there is a Mr Men, read the laws of the game.
1: <laughs> at Attiche underscore J says, Who's Diego, Paul. Beautiful moment, so good, so good, this moment. Uh, um, the, the crowd starts singing the Diego Forland song. And the cameras just fortunately cut to Mourinho as he's whispering over his shoulder, who's Diego? And Michael Carrick, you can see him say, Forlan. And then Jose says, why? Like, why are they singing about Forlan? And then Carrick explains it to him and Jose kind of has a little chuckle and Carrick cracks up laughing. Good. It was real good. It was good stuff, yeah. It was a good moment. Um, <laughs> my friend Joshua Graham, 93, in all caps, Lingard makes too much runny money. I should say that my friend Joshua is is joking about this. Um, the reaction to Jesse Lingard's contract has been out of control.
0: really has, hasn't it? I mean, look, a bunch of things to say here, I think. Uh, one one is 100K is the new 50K. Right? Just look at the last two contracts, uh, TV contracts. Um, massive increase each time, you know, 60% and 80% um, in the total value. And then look at the um, the uh, ratio of, of player wages to TV revenue, right? And it's, there's an almost one-to-one, It's like 0.9-something in the R-squared correlation between wages rising and TV revenue rising, right? Yeah. So this is why the contract is the number it is. Um, so that's one thing. So it has to be in context. Um, and then the second thing is, look, Lingard puts up good numbers and he's one of our own right? Why wouldn't you want to keep him? He um, okay, takes an awful lot, awful lot of criticism, but for a player who takes so much criticism, his numbers are really good and he scored in two cup finals.
1: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. That's that's how I feel about it. I, I think for a start, like there is another number doing the round, which is 75,000 a week, which it wouldn't be totally surprising if that turned out to be closer to the real number, given how the, the bigger number is always going to generate the, the most clicks and interest. Um, and, and th- there's another thing about this so so people rightly say that one of the problems at united in the last few years has been too many players uh not uh worthy of the salaries that they're being paid And that's definitely been a problem at all different levels of the club. So you've got Ashley Young on 120 grand a week, and that's 120 grand a week when that really meant something. Um, Right. Then you've got Rooney on 300, Bastian Schweinsteiger on 200 plus, um, just literally in the reserves. So, so there is a problem with wage spending at United Mm. in terms of extracting value. But well, United's wages are the biggest in Europe. Yeah. Uh, And the world, right? Yeah. Uh,
0: In football terms, yeah.
1: But there's. That isn't just, that doesn't necessarily mean United are bad at deciding wages, you know. It it could also mean that actually playing for Man United is only really akin to playing for a couple of other clubs in the world in terms of uh the extent to which your personal life is gone forever <laughs> like you know you you are public property in and you're going to be subject to tons of hostile it's not
0: danger money i mean look look united are paying those kind of wages because they feel they're competitive for um uh, the players that they they're chasing right and that's okay all all clubs do that they they're going to set a wage budget uh, and they're going to uh, they're going to pay players accordingly, right? So United's wage budget is very high because uh, they make more revenue than any club on the planet, right? Um, and the like forex for changes aside, yeah. right? That could change by by the time the next report uh, is published and the next accounts are published, right? So I, I don't think it's about danger money for players because they're in the public eye. It's just this is what the wages that United want to pay, right? The real problem is that the performance to wages isn't right. So United are fifth in the league at the moment, uh, played the game in hand over Arsenal, so fifth or sixth. Um, and yet they pay the highest wages in the Premier League. Yeah. That's not
1: right. And it's not. The the other thing that I was going to say, though, it's not just about, like, being a public figure as in danger money, but also, like, the reason United's revenues are the biggest anywhere is because United do the most commercial work anywhere and all the True. commercial work is focused around the players. Yeah. You yeah. know, they're, they're at the heart of it. Yeah. So they, they are earning fortunes for United at marketable players. Yeah. Although, of course,
0: United will buy that. They will buy that through image rights. almost all the contracts um have an you know an addendum on them, which is about image rights and often they are they're the ones that the h m r. c always wants to look at because uh, they're paid through a, a corporation registered in the player's name, usually offshore. Um, as if they're buying something other than you know these are basically wages, but they're treated differently. Mm.
1: Well, that's that's a kind of interesting thing, and you wonder whether that's been changed a bit in the wake of HMRC's interests, because there was talk at the time, wasn't there, when that started to become a big story of maybe the clubs having to do things slightly differently. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, a hundred grand a week is a lot for a player like Jesse Lingard, but it is kind of the going rate, and you know, a lot of a lot of. I don't know. I I really think that a lot of the conversation around Lingard is because of the way United fans paradoxically treat the players who've come through the club. Like, the demands the crowd make... And this isn't, by the way... This is a thing that gets thrown around a lot, is, like, the real fans at Old Trafford aren't like this, but online fans are. But Old Trafford is at least as bad for this, for getting on young players' Mm -hmm. backs when they're not doing well. I mean, um... uh. When Mark, Mark Ogden tweeted that Lingard divides opinion, and Gary Neville, I think genuinely, was like, divides opinion among who? Because he just takes it for granted that people think Lingard's good. Uh, and when loads of people were replied to him, United fans, he was like, well, it's not real United fans, is it? You real United fans can't be like on the back of one of the players. And I thought it was kind of a good example of Neville, in spite of being seeped in the culture, not really quite getting the culture, because it's a myth that United fans kind of root for their own above above anyone else. Like, think about the way Welbeck was talked about. Or, you know, mm-hmm. any time there are imperfections, that's it. They're useless, you know. They're only getting in the team because they're a young, United youngster.
0: Yes, but that that is an internet thing. It's it's not in... I, I, I know, you know, down the pub at Old Trafford, people will have a moan. And, and uh, there's a... Of, of course... In a way, there's a tendency to be more critical of your own because you have higher expectations, right? But it's not in Old Trafford. Yeah, it is. Right? Lingard of isn't... It is.
1: Every time Lingard mis- misplaces a pass, if you're at Old Trafford, you hear loads of people moaning about him.
0: <laughs> well, you hear loads of people moaning about Fellaini as well when he misplaces well, a pass you. after, pass, yeah,
1: after yeah. pass. Yes, that's a, a different category. But no, I mean, Welbeck used to get an endless stick inside Old Trafford.
0: Should never have sold Danny, no, never,
1: no, never Oh, talking of which, talking of we should never have sold Danny um, Marino's been banging on about Chicharito again At D underscore keho says would, Chichari- would Chicharito have scored 20 goals so far this season? Well oh, no, because he'd have been on the bench all the time <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely uh, And also, he's not that good, is he? Like he's good, he's, he's a not good goal that scorer. good. So. I
0: mean, his record everywhere when he gets a game yeah. is good. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's got a very good international record. Uh, he's what well, he's the leading goal scoring in Mexican history now, isn't he? Didn't he just break the record? Well done. Um, and uh, or he's about to, he, he may have equaled it. Um, and uh, and he's been scoring plenty of goals at Leverkusen, so yeah, I mean. It didn't make a lot of sense to sell him in the context of what we now have. Um, It wouldn't have made any more sense to buy him back or anything like that if he was going to play 10 games from the bench because there's the last hands in the side all the time. Uh,
1: Steve Williams at Across the Keepers says how brilliant and also unbelievably infuriating is Ibrahimovic.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, my my feeling on this one is um, 28 goals now this season, absolutely amazing and some absolute crackers Including today's, that perhaps only Zlatan could have scored, right? Absolutely brilliant goal. I, there's something at the back of my mind says, I wonder whether United will be a better team without a minute. I mean, given you'd have to have the right centre forward in there, and, I, and Martial um, and to an even greater extent, Rashford are unproven being able to do it over the course of a season in that position. Um, But there's something about Ibrahimovic's total lack of movement, except when the final ball is going to be played, that does make a difference to United's ability to attack at pace. Undoubtedly.
1: He referenced uh, Benjamin Button in his post-match interview at Chris Bentley 13. Says, what other movies would be worthy of reference by Zlatan? I feel like... um... Maybe something with Antonio Banderas, but it's more like a look thing at the moment with the kind of pulled back hair and all that. Um, the Last Samurai that kind of makes sense. Uh, Groundhog Day because it's the same. Like just he's he's kind of confusingly terrible and then scores a wonder goal. That's,
0: that's just what's that one with Jim Carrey? Bruce Almighty because does think he's God. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and much like the character in Bruce Almighty, he actually is. So you know it works. Um, <laughs> assuming United don't win the Europa League asks Adam Mac L 95 and get or get a top four finish where does Mourinho go and who replaces him <laughs> <laughs> oh dear uh, was Mourinho trolling Moyes by making Fellaini captain asks at Billy Bob 1310 maybe <laughs> I don't know Moyes would have probably taken it as a, some kind of uh, credit to him. Um, Fellaini, uh, at afridifan, uh, at fan underscore MUFC says, Fellaini has a 100% record as captain and United scored three goals in a game in his captaincy. Do you think he can get it permanently? Maybe that's it. Yeah. Maybe he's an inspiration. Yeah, totally.
0: No. No.
1: all right um at Gary underscore one one oh five with jose's comments about chicharito are there un- any other players who left under Moyes or van Hal that you'd like to see come back I'm gonna exclude Danny from this conversation because obviously the answer is Danny uh
0: n- well no not in their current state uh I mean look there's some tempted players I mean nanny was let go for way too cheap given how good he is but I don't think you'd take him back and I don't think he'd really improve this side um, Memphis should have been better but he wasn't uh, he's doing well at Lyon you know, he's got a goal from the halfway line for God's sake and, and he's got a few others as well so um, no I, I don't think so I think you know Welbeck's the one that didn't make an awful lot of sense to sell I, I just I don't see the benefit that United gained from selling him
1: no I mean we sold him because we were replacing him with Radamel Falcao but not the real Radamel Falcao the broken shell of a man hmm uh, and last question, how can they still call it Final Fantasy, asks at Ben Glorious. Yeah, Final Fantasy 15. 15! It's not a final, is it? It's the, it's the greatest tautology in all of naming convention. <laughs> we should also say that three weeks ago on the show, we ran a competition for the art of football. Um to give away a lovely Zlatan Ibrahimovic t-shirt and completely forgot last week, because it had been so long since the previous show, uh, to award a winner of that competition. So we should do so now. All right. What are our top three? Okay. Um, At Machiavelli says, favourite Zlatan goal, the one against Liverpool. I still have no idea how he got down and put that much power on the header. Uh, Peter Fairchild at Pedro88852 says his favourite Latin goals versus Bournemouth in the first game of the season. Uh, people weren't doubting that after that. Great strike too. was absolutely lovely. Um, uh, at Grey Badger1261 uh, says his favourite was at home to Middlesbrough because Fergie's right, the refs are, you know, uh, that that the goal that never was against Middlesbrough and uh, Don McDowell also going for the goal that was, uh, the goal that was disallowed against Middlesbrough. But I think since, and a third person at TJ Granado disallowed flying kick versus Borough because that moment finally left to obliv- oblivion must be remembered once more for its brilliance. Um, that was, that was a real good one, but all those three are, um, are disallowed because it wasn't like the goal. They're disallowed. Um, I, ooh, I don't know. Ooh, I don't no. know. Should have been a goal, shouldn't it? <laughs> OK, but the thing is, three people all picked that goal and we can't give it to one of them. And we haven't got three T-shirts to give away, Ed, so I think we should disallow them for the sake of, you know. Oh, I think they're moral victors. That's what I think. <laughs> um, and at James, James E. Cantanar says that he liked uh, the goal best, the winner in the final, because we were second best all match and that was his Cantona moment. That's pretty pretty good shout. Um He's got plenty of great goals.
0: I mean look, even his opening goal for Leicester, he's got no right to bully Wes Morgan. Uh, against Leicester, sorry not for Leicester, um in the charity shield. You know, and that's a great goal. Uh, and he's kept yeah. scoring them like that ever since.
1: All right, so if you're saying that we can count the Middlesbrough one, then I think I'm going to give it to at TJ Granado because he said before that moment is finally left at Oblivion, it must be remembered once more for its brilliance, which is a Zlatan-esque piece of writing, and it's kind of a piece of art in itself, and this is for the art of football uh, that we're giving this away. So I think that, that sort of works, doesn't it? Yeah. All right. Congratulations. Well done, TJ. Um, I will be in touch on the Twitter to get details of where we should send that T-shirt to. Uh, talking of T-shirts, by the way, um, nobody got in touch after last week of the bit that I put in the Backers show about how you got to get in touch with me with your T-shirt size if you're in the T-shirt tier or the art tier or right. the interaction tier. Well, if you
0: don't, we'll all send you triple X's because <laughs> just assume you're fat <laughs> b-
1: Listen... Stop body shaming people, Ed. That's not that's not what this show stands for. Surely, surely we must be better. Hey, look, than look, not. Hey, look, I'm not this... body
0: shaming, I'm just going on the average size I see at Sam Platts, just as a, you know. <laughs> um
1: so uh we've got a uh, uh, talking of the Patreon thing, um if you uh, want to get extra content every week, you head over to patreon.com Slash Rankcast and uh, look at how you can support the show at various different levels to get various trinkets and goodies and and more. More rank cast content every week. Uh the reason that we do that is enable us to put some more time into the show. One of the reasons we do that is to be able to get guests on the show, which we have now. Ed, for once, it's over to you.
0: Yeah, so uh <laughs> this is kind of interesting, this one. So George Knott dropped me an email not long ago. He works at Football Radar, which is one of these newfangled uh data and analytics companies um in the uh in the football space. Always of interest to me. I mean, it's, uh, Use a lot of data in my day job. Ha- have a degree in that sort of general area. And George said to me in his opening email, uh, "Hi Ed, I've watched every andalect game for the last eighteen months." I thought, "How the sad." B-. So I had to talk to him. So George, thanks for joining us. I uh, I, I hadn't actually heard of Football Radar before you got in touch. Um, give us a, a quick uh, elevator pitch on what the company is—football uh, sort of analytics and data.
2: Yeah. Um- so I work for, as you said, a company called Football Radar, we're, we're based in London, and we're a, a sort of a data and statistical modelling company looking into football. So there's sort of about, we're just shy of 200 people there, and we spend every day wow. looking into football from, I mean, at the moment we cover about 40 leagues worldwide, and then sort of follow a good sort of 40 or 50 beyond that as well, um, just watching and recording data day in, day out on these various leagues
0: to try and just... uh So, so you um you uh, build your own data sets then, you're not using the sort of Opta database. We sort of control the whole pipeline from
2: the data entry at the very beginning to then the modelling beyond that. Um, and we try and look at football in in a slightly different way. I, th- I think part of the thing was, was often thinking with people like Opta that in a way some of those stats can perhaps be a little misleading when you're just looking at sort of completed passes or shots on target or that sort of thing so we've tried to look at it from perhaps perhaps a slightly more subjective way um of analyzing football as opposed to
0: just looking at sort of pure stats that perhaps someone like Opta would, would look at right okay interesting so um you you mentioned in your email that uh you uh day in day out uh cover the Belgian Jupiler Pro League. Uh sorry about that. Uh, what did you do to get that gig? Was it the short straw? <laughs> I, I do indeed cover cover the Jupiler Pro League. I mean
2: in fairness when you work at a company that sort of covers so many leagues worldwide getting some getting to cover somewhere like Belgium perhaps isn't uh isn't perhaps as bad as it sounds. I I sort of When you start working at Football Radar, you work as what's called a match analyst and you just watch games from across the globe. And then if you progress to where I am now, it's a league analyst, you focus on a league. So we've got people focusing on pretty much every league from the Premier League and the Bundesliga to Japanese second tier and the uh, Brazilian second tier. Uh, And I I sort of just honestly kind of ended up on Belgium because there was a vacancy there. And since I've covered the Belgian Pro League for pretty much about a year now and uh, it's actually the football's quite entertaining i mean hopefully yourself and united fans and and sort of general football fans will see see on these two europa league ties that you know the standard of football in
0: belgium isn't too bad Right. Yeah, so I think the general the general sense from over here in England is uh, that Belgian football isn't very high quality because we, we don't see a lot of Belgian teams in the latter stages of the Champions League and so on. But there were, there were three towards the latter end of the, the Europa League. Um, Two of them played each other in the last round and, and obviously Anderlecht playing United now. So does that say something about the standard of the league? Is it is it decent? Where would you rank it in terms of, you know, in English terms, how, how good is it, the, the Belgian League? And it's a slightly odd one because the teams at the top, so the teams that you're talking
2: about who who kind of got through to the last stage of the Europa League, they're good. I mean, I think Anderlecht and Bruges and perhaps the likes of, of Gent and Genk could compete in the Premier League. Not at the top end, for sure, not the top end. I think they could, they'd could. they be Premier League sides. I think the difference you get with Belgium is the sides at the bottom are maybe closer to your sort of maybe a League One standard side. So there's quite a big in quality um, and quite a big golf and sort of financial muscle in the teams but your sides like Anderlecht and Bruges I mean Bruges were quite badly represented in the Champions League this year because they had so many injuries during their campaign mm. but I think these are sides that you know I watch them week in week out and they're as good if not better than a a decent amount of sides in the Premier League.
0: Okay, cool. Um, and so, Anderlecht this year—they're they're actually the top of the Jupiler League. Um, are they are they still the biggest club in in Belgium? Uh, is is this to be expected? Are they winning the league every year? No,
2: they're not winning the league. Actually, they're, I mean, in terms of the history of Belgian football, they're the most successful club, but they've sort of dropped off a bit in a while. Expectations from the fans are really high. Uh, but the past couple of years they've really dropped off. Um, I mean, Bruges last year were were runaway winners really in the end and, and they were terrific, but this season to the start of the season, Anderlecht got a new manager in, a, a Swiss guy called René Weiler, and he has really turned them around this season. They've gone from being a, a very flaky side last year that would routinely concede sort of very sloppy goals to now being much more solid. Um, and so if they do win the league this season, which it's they're sort of beginning to establish themselves as favourites. I think this will be the first time they've won the league since 2014. Um, which you know isn't too bad, but for a side of, of sort of the expectations that come with being Anderlecht, they until this season they had dropped off a bit recently.
0: Mm. So, so what, who are the players we know? I mean, I looked through the squad list and uh, I like to think of myself, not necessarily a football hipster, but a, a man of the football world, you know. Uh, I have to say, I didn't know too many of these players. Diego Capel, I'd, I'd heard of, obviously played for Spain uh, many years back. But uh, who, who are the real stars in this squad? Well, Diego Capel is,
2: is definitely not one of the stars in the squad, despite right. probably being the most recognisable name. I'd be surprised if he, if he even makes the bench against uh, Man United. I think... Aside from him, another name that of some football fans might be beginning to hear a bit of is that of Yuri Tielemans, who uh, is a, a 19-year-old centre midfielder at Anderlecht. He's a, a Belgian youngster. And he is, I would be highly surprised if over the next couple of years, we are not seeing him playing at the highest level of football. He is absolutely, he's just brilliant. I mean, as I say, he's only 19 years old. He's played... 43 games this season he's got 18 goals and 11 assists and he's a centre midfielder and not even a right. particularly attack-minded centre midfielder um he scored a few absolute screamers this season in the league in Belgium I'm talking sort of 35 40 yard hits into the top corner he is this season he's kind of established himself as, as the mainstay there and has also got a couple of Belgian caps now um and alongside him is their other centre midfielder, another Belgian, a guy called Leander Dendonka. Uh, he's only 21. And the uh, the Anderlecht fans affectionately call him Robocop because he sort of plays a defensive midfield role and just runs and runs and runs. I think I've, I was looking up earlier and he's played uh, over 70 hours of football this season already um, right. across 47 games. Uh, he was also in the Belgian squad. And I think when, when the last uh, internationals came out, there was a, a sort of a graphic showing the number of minutes all the players in the Belgian squad have played this season and Dendonker and Tielemans were by far and away the two players in it with the most uh minutes
0: in all competitions. But okay. because of their age, they're sort of showing no sign of letting up. And this is a this is a very high quality Belgian squad as well, perhaps um perhaps underperformed at the recent uh world cup and the european championships maybe i mean in terms of the expectations that have been built up around the quality of the individual players but uh so i guess dendonka and tielemans must be very high quality if they're making it into that squad now
2: yeah i agree and, and it looks like roberto martinez agrees as well um it's interesting actually with, with tielemans he, he started in their friendly against russia and uh was fantastic and came off with them 3 1 up, and the game ended 3 all. I mean, that's not to say it was a, sort of necessarily the removal of Tielemans from the pitch that changed it, but he's a, for a 19 year old, he's an extremely mature footballer. I mean, he often, he's the vice captain at Anderlecht uh, and has had the captain's armband many a times, despite the fact that they've got kind of 35 year olds who have been at the club all their life, and he still is the one who takes the armband. He's a, he is a real talent and yeah Martinez
0: sees exactly the same right so what, what kind of system will we be expecting from Anderlecht then they they generally go with it's it's a 4-3-3 three, three, really
2: 4-5-1 4-3-3 three, three, depending on sort of whether they're going to be a bit more defensive which I would imagine depending on the score in the first leg I mean the second leg at Old Trafford might be more of a 4-5-1 um, and they sort of play with a they have a striker called Lucas Teodorczyk who's a, a Polish strikers sort with of a big guy about six foot four, uh, and he's the top scorer in the league this season. So they'll, they'll sort of use him up top as a hold-up man, and then they kind of have a few sort of not not necessarily the fastest of players, but uh, quite sort of uh, versatile, tricky attacking midfield style wingers who all sort of play off him. As a three, and kind of interchange positions a little bit as they go. Okay,
0: yeah. So one of United's problems this season is is scoring goals. Three at Sunderland yesterday, but uh, that's definitely against the uh, the general pattern this season. Uh, what can we expect from the the defence? Uh, are they uh, mean spirited and likely to cause United problems? Uh, the the general tactic, if if you want to beat United, is to play very narrow and very deep. Uh, and uh, it seems that uh, United don't have an answer to that at the moment.
2: Yeah, although unfortunately that's often sort of not proven to be one of Anderlecht's strengths, and is where um, United, sort of, they might get at Anderlecht that way. They were, I mean, last season they were shocking defensively. Um, they've sort of improved this season a bit under uh, under René Weiler, but I mean, they score a lot of goals. They're the top scorers in the league in Belgium, but they also concede quite a few, and I think... Uh, probably the striker this season that's caused um Anderlecht the, sort of the most trouble was uh when they played Zenit St Petersburg in the uh, Europa League Artem Zuba uh if I'm pronouncing his name rightly and I think he's kind of a a striker in a way in the mold of Himovic, you know a big strong physical presence up top and he was kind of continually causing problems for uh for Anderlecht they have a a guy called Oraspietch at center half who's who's a good young center half but perhaps physically isn't always up to the task and I
0: think that could be a way where uh, united could get overlooked. Mm. Yeah, and Ibrahimovic certainly bullied uh, the Saint Etienne defence in the last round who were probably you know good players but probably a bit lightweight. Um not that he gets involved in the games very much as the, uh, the the sort of irony with Ibrahimovic is that he's played a lot of very poor games this season, but scored 28 goals. So you're not, we're not complaining. Um, so how did how Anderlecht beat United then? What, what do you think the approach will be um, to to try and win over the two legs? I mean, I think, I think the first leg will be pretty key because I I wouldn't really
2: see them going to Old Trafford and, and taking results. So I think it would be about trying to get something in the first leg Um maybe sort of looking at using using Teodorczyk to try and sort of nick a goal in his classic way. I mean, he's I think he's the fourth top scorer in the Europa League this season with five goals. Um, and so when they're at home they can kind of use that home advantage to almost kind of bombard Man United a bit and uh, and get the crowd on their side. And then, you know, we've just been talking about whether Anderlecht could shut up shop if if the, sort of, the score was right at Old Trafford. I think that will be kind of what they have to do. I and mean, they know they go into this game as real underdogs. You know, uh, Man United are sort of probably the favourites to win the tournament. So anything they can get here would be a, would be a huge bonus for them. But I, I think it's it's going to be a case of the home leg in Brussels being almost sort of setting the stall for the tyre, I feel. Okay.
0: Like. Well, what's the atmosphere like at the the Vandenstock? Do uh, do the Anderlecht fans... Uh... Whip up, uh, whip up some noise. They do, yeah, they do. It's um, they're a very well supported
2: club, and they sort of have a, it's it's mixed between uh seating and standing, and so behind one of the goals they have an area where a lot of the kind of uh, the fans who make a lot of noise stand, and I've, when Anderlecht get going down that end, um, they can whip up quite the noise. It's it's sort of a a strange stadium because as I was saying earlier, there's such a golfing quality in in some of the teams. In Belgium, so often you'll see Anderlecht at home. If they're playing a side down the bottom of the league, um, the atmosphere—you know—there can be a lot of empty seats. But the United game will, I'm pretty certain, it sold out quite a while ago, actually, and the atmosphere will be great for it. It can make a lot of noise. It's quite—the fans are quite
0: close to the pitch at the stadium. Um, so yeah, I'd expect a good atmosphere very good so what, what do you think uh your, your prediction for the tie over the two legs um give us the uh, give us the argument for Anderlecht winning I mean I was going to say our prediction for the tie is probably
2: Man United going through actually but I think the argument for Anderlecht winning will be perhaps Man United underestimating Anderlecht a little bit um and perhaps you know they are a team of real quality I think uh I wouldn't put it past Yuri uh, Tielemans to hit one in from sort of 35 yards. This is exactly the sort of game where he'd do that sort of thing, get himself right in the book. I mean, you've, you've got to bear in mind for a lot of these players, people don't watch the Belgian League very much. So for a lot of these Anderlecht players, this is the biggest game of their season by a long way. You know, They're going to have a, an audience 100 times the size of the audience that they get from most of the games that they play in. So uh, I think they'll be, if they can get fired up for it, um, and then they, if they can sort of use their key players well and just avoid defensive errors because so many of the, the goals they concede can just be from sloppy defending, um, then that will be the case for uh, Anderlecht going through. But in all honesty, I think it's probably a little more likely that United have, have got enough to sort of see them through. I mean, you obviously United played uh, St Etienne was it in the, the round of 32 and they actually won the group that Anderlecht were in um, over two games against Anderlecht, I think, one was a draw away in Saint-Étienne and then Saint-Étienne beat Anderlecht in Brussels. Um, And given how, you know, United, if I remember rightly, sort of cruised past Saint-Étienne with relative ease, that could be a a, sort of a a sign of how you might approach it against Anderlecht.
0: So, um, uh, final sort of set of questions. Uh, United have had four Belgian players, as far as I can remember. There might be some I'm missing. Uh, how many can you name? Well, Fellaini off the top of my head um, would be the
2: first one. And I'm trying to think if I can even think of any beyond that, which is slightly alarming. So there's
0: there's Adnan Yanazai who's currently course, on loan at Sunderland. And uh, probably everyone's a bit disappointed how it's turned out with him because uh, of his supreme talent and uh, Potentially suspect attitude, um, and then a few years ago, uh, Richie Delate, who's now at Aston Villa. Yeah, a very, very. Uh, and uh, Marnik Vermai, who I, who was a very talented player in the the youth team, um, but he's in the championship. I a- think he's at Preston now. Preston, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was he was at Sheffield Wednesday for a season or so, and uh, yeah, I was surprised he didn't uh, make it at a higher level. Uh, so what's the What's the view on Fellaini then? Because uh, I have to say, he's got uh, many critics at United. Not too many people or too many fans really believe him to be a United quality player. Yet, uh, Moyes, um, uh, Van Gaal and Mourinho all play him regularly.
2: Yeah, and he, he sort of looks to be coming into his own a little bit under Mourinho now. But um, he's... Belgian fans quite like him, actually. I think there's something about him. I mean, Roberto Martinez definitely likes him. I think... Uh, maybe United fans who you see more of Fellaini would disagree with me. But I, I would say, sort of on balance, perhaps a lot of people who watch the Premier League a lot would say that Moussa Dembele is perhaps a, a, a better option in centre midfield. But Martinez actually quite regularly picks Fellaini ahead of him. Uh, and not always sort of, as as people might imagine, that doesn't always sort of disgruntle the Belgian fans too much. I think they they quite like him. They see him as quite a quite a robust option but also someone who, who kind of wears the Belgian shirt with pride a lot uh, and, and yeah he, he's in favour um, and that he's you know I think there was uh, by all accounts he, I, I didn't see the Man United game against Sunderland on the weekend but by all accounts he, he put in a good performance and he was getting a lot of plaudits in the, in the Belgian media for that game
0: yeah, he he was he was decent. Uh, I think he probably has one good game in 10, but uh um uh, it's it's all a little bit chalk and cheese, you know. M- most of the time he's terrible and then he and then he puts in a couple of good ones. Uh but well, the captain's armband yesterday which uh, certainly caused some debate in social media, uh, I would say. Um <laughs> great. Um and then um uh well, final final question for me? I, I was kind of curious about Robert, Roberto Martinez because after uh, after Wilmots, who's a pretty conservative coach, I guess, looking at it from the outside. Martínez, definitely not that. How How's that affected Belgian, the Belgian national team and Belgian football more widely? Well, he's yet to really have too much of a positive impact on the side. I mean,
2: Belgium really weren't too great over the last international break. I mean, they drew against Greece in the qualifier and then drew against Russia. Um, what I think... Martinez has done that has slightly endeared him to to the Belgian fans is that he is as so we were saying with Tielemans and Den he is looking to give these youngsters a run in the first team. Uh and is sort of saying, you know, if you are playing well enough for your club, I will give you a run out. Um unfortunately he is sort of still falling into the the kind of the Wilmot's trap of having on paper and incredibly good team. I mean you look at you look at the side, the players on the form across Europe in that side, whether it be Hazard, De Bruyne, Rajan and Dries Mertens, um, and Mertons, um uh, Fertongen and Alderweireld at, at Spurs, it's a team that should be doing better. And at the moment Martinez hasn't got them playing that much better, to be honest, and that's a sort of still a, a bit of a bone of contention amongst amongst uh, Belgian football fans.
0: Mm. Okay, cool. Um, I think we'll leave it there. Um, that was fascinating and uh, about a million times better than a preview that Paul and I would have done. <laughs> uh, we, the, the, the podcast is not known for doing in-depth previews anyway. We spend uh, 50 minutes talking about the game just gone and realised we probably ought to talk about the one coming up. And uh, the Europa League has been difficult because I have to admit, I don't watch a lot of Ukrainian football or even even French football. Um, and and I don't think I've seen a Belgian league game in quite many, quite a number of years. So this has been a really fascinating insight into Andalates. And uh, thanks a lot, George.
1: No, thanks for having me on. Been uh, been good talking. There you go. Excellent. Uh, And thank you very much to George uh, for coming on and uh, Football Radar for all your, well, for at least some of your data analytics needs, especially as regards the Belgian top division, apparently.
0: Someone's got to watch it and these guys are doing the hard graft, apparently.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So a team that we can probably uh, be reasonably qualified to preview United's game against. It's a massive, massive, season-defining clash Sky Sports hype machine is going to be cranking into overdrive. We got... Is
0: City playing Tottenham next weekend?
1: (laughs) The personal... The personal is ramped up to the maximum. The professional is a huge amount at stake. What's going to happen? It's red versus blue. Man United against Chelsea at Old Trafford. Is it going to be better than last time, Ed? I hope so. Well, the time, the time before last, let's say. I mean, the last time was frustrating, but the the real bad one was the one before that, wasn't it?
0: Yes, I can't imagine United are going to lose four 0 at home. Don't we don't concede too many goals at home, hardly any at all. Don't score too many at home either, but, you know. <laughs> so it's going to be six all or something like that. I mean, Chelsea, uh, good victory over Bournemouth this weekend and, and obviously they, they sort of ground out that victory against City the weekend before. It definitely wasn't guaranteed. Good quality game, that one. Uh, but they lost to Palace not that long ago. Um, you, don't, you wonder whether, you know, with the end in sight, either the pressure is cranking up, especially with Spurs playing so well at the moment, or or uh, conversely have they did they did they start to believe they'd already won it and so took their foot off the gas i'm not sure if this is the chelsea of two or three months ago i'm i'm just trying to talk my way into a possible <laughs> united victory here
1: i mean they lost to crystal palace but they've played twice since including against man city and won both of those games so you know i'm uh, i'm not entirely convinced by this logic and also hey if united win their next
0: game 3-0 be one point behind City with the same goal difference. Yeah. Just just saying, I mean, City have not had a great season, have they?
1: No, but, you know, its next game is against Chelsea at home. So I don't know how likely it is they're going to win their next game 3-0. I mean, you know, City are not having a great season, but they are having a better second half of the season. Well, kind of most recent third of a season, I guess, after a really uh, an excellent start and a shaky middle period. They've sort of got it together a bit. Basically, what I'm saying is, just because I, I don't buy the Chelsea wobble theory, really.
0: No, but you know, it's a it's a it's a little vacillation, right? It's not full wobble.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a shudder. The Chelsea are having a brief shudder. They've basically they've got goosebumps, but that's it. <laughs>
0: Um, <laughs> um, I mean, look, This is for United, this is coming three days after the, the Anderlecht tie. At least it's an afternoon kickoff, not a 11.30 on a Sunday morning or something nonsense like that. Um, and at least it's that,
1: Belgium and not Russia.
0: Yeah, yeah. So they'll get back at a reasonable time on Thursday night. Uh, I mean, you know, it's it's not honestly that much different than if United had a game in London. Uh, it Chelsea clearly have a whole week to prepare, though.
1: And and that's been the story of Chelsea's season to a certain extent, hasn't it? Like, no Europe has been a massive advantage for them and, and for Liverpool too, really. Um, and United have, have suffered a lot from being in the Europa League. And if they're not careful, they're going to suffer from being in the Europa League all over again next season. But uh, hopefully we'll somehow win our way out of it. I mean, you have to say that whatever optimism you could muster I mean, it's hard, it is hard to muster a lot of optimism for this game, given what a sort of machine Chelsea are, that Palace game aside, and that Anderlecht game, and what generally the Europa League's done to us all season, and just the fact that straight up and down, like, Chelsea are better than us this season. They're they're a team that's really found its groove. They've got 75 points in the league, plus 40 goal difference. You know, they're they're kind of cruising to the title, Um, and we are desperately clawing our way into fourth place. So I don't know. I, I'm
0: yeah, 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 no, sure. Log- Logic says that they, they this is going to be the game United lose the unbeaten league run. Uh, but look, look back at the Palace game. They had 27% possession, uh, three shots on target, two of which <laughs> they scored with. <laughs> you know, if if there's any manager who can pull that kind of thing off, it's Mourinho. Although it's you know it's interesting. The, the other the other thing is you know Chelsea are, are so solid defensively, but at least they will attack, which has been the problem with all of uh, all of United's drop most of United's drop points at Old Trafford, hasn't it? You know, unable to break down stubborn defences. Not that as I. Pointed out earlier in the show, United score on the counter attack. <laughs>
1: um, the no, but they definitely play better in when there's when they've got some room to play in, don't they? I mean, I wonder whether Mourinho will do what play that very you know specific four-one-two-two-two-two formation or whatever it was that he played against Chelsea last time, and, and employ. I mean, Jones is injured, isn't he? So he can't put Jones on Hazard. I wonder whether he'd try and put Fellaini on Hazard or something, but that'd be a disaster.
0: Oh, I mean. It would be a disaster because no. Fellaini can't do no. that job. He just cannot do it. Uh, Hazard will be dancing around him. And, uh, um, yeah, no, at least Jones is, you know, he's not the most mobile, but at least he's a bit more mobile.
1: Yeah. And he's, you know, people kind of, he gets a lot of criticism, Phil Jones, I suppose. He does read the game quite well when he's on form, mm-hmm. um, which Fellaini, I don't think you would say that about. Um I wonder whether we will we might match Chelsea, which is something that a lot of teams have done this season with mixed success. Spurs obviously had a lot of joy doing it, um, but matching them for the 3-4-3. Mm. The, the only question... It
0: feels like a total disaster. I mean, we'll we'll see if, if United go out to Anderlecht and play three at the back. Yeah. Uh, certainly haven't played 3-4-3 in any kind of honest sense. Um, no. United played pretty much flat back seven when we did that before.
1: Yeah. Um, I wonder whether we'll... Play a flat back seven and try and try and hit them on the break. I mean, it seems it seems unlikely given that he's obviously not going to drop Ibrahimovic. So, how how would you line up the the team against Chelsea?
0: Uh, I'd try and sneak an extra man in there and see if the ref noticed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think I'll go De Gea. Let's assume Valencia's back. De Gea, Valencia, Bay, Rocco... Sure, I guess. I can't see Mourinho doing that, but it'd be nice. Um, and then I think I'd go four-two-three-one. I think I'd play Pogba and Herrera and Mkhitaryan, Martial, maybe even Mkhitaryan, Martial and Rashford. And, no, Mkhitaryan, Martial, Lingard and Ibrahimović mm. up front. I think that's the, a the only I
0: the only problem with that of course, is that Chelsea would have a, basically have an extra man in midfield i mean it just it just depends on uh the wide players i think um he's going to want to pull one extra player back, I'm sure, so I think it's more likely that uh either Carrick or Fellaini play yeah um to try and make three in there, but we'll he
1: seems see. to have slightly given up on Carrick as well so yeah he hasn't it...
0: played a lot recently i mean of course Carrick is aging and not been offered a new contract yet,
1: yeah. So I think if it's Carrick or Fellaini, I think we're probably saying it's Fellaini in that in that situation. Anyway, we need the captain, leader, Belgian in the side. Mm. Anyway, uh, should we predict some scores? I feel ill equipped to predict the score against Anderlecht and Yeah, but
0: we always do anyway. I'm so. very
1: reluctant to pick a score. The, the score I actually think it'll be against Chelsea.
0: You have to pick a score because we even picked predicted scores against like FC Zoria and <laughs> okay, other right. ridiculous teams that we'd never seen play before.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh I'm going to I'm going to say that we're going to beat Belgian people cuz you know, it's what we do. Um 2-0 against Anderlecht. And I th- well, you pick your analytics score first.
0: I'm going to say one all over in end. Okay,
1: good. That's Brett's law of averages. Man United, fair, fair. Um, I think Chelsea are going to win two one. Oh,
0: how can you? How can you? Do- I do though. Oh.
1: Sad, sadly. I think they'll be. They'll down be at- no,
0: I'm going to say uh, I'm going to. I don't know how to predict a win. <laughs> I really don't. So I'm going to say one all in that one too.
1: Okay. All right. I feel like we could have just picked one all every game all season, and it would have been our best run of results ever <laughs> in terms of guessing the right score. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, in
0: in a way, Jose was right to rest some players against Sunderland, and uh, uh, because you know the Europa League really does offer a good opportunity. If you look at the qu- the quality of the clubs left, they're good clubs, but not great clubs. Uh, a bit like United's team at the moment, I suppose. Ajax. Uh, who haven't been a force for many, many years. Schalke, who definitely aren't a force at the moment. Genk, who are probably one of the more informed teams. Besiktas, Leon, um uh, Memphis can't play, of course. Uh, so, you know, it's not... I, I wonder whether it's not the Europa League of the last couple of seasons. No Sevilla in there.
1: Well, that's what everyone's saying. I just don't have any faith in us delivering on a consistent basis. That's the problem. But, you know... When it came to it, like, we won the League Cup, which was basically the same, you know, the League Cup was really the domestic equivalent of the Europa League, wasn't it? We didn't have to go through any amazing teams. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, you know, we're definitely in with a shot. So it does it does make sense to prioritise it. And also, we've blown the top four chances so badly that we kind of have to prioritise the Europa League, don't we? So, Right, well, Patreon backers, stay tuned. Everyone else, we'll see you next week.
0: I will see you next week.